Hey guys, this is the Mosaic Podcast and I want to welcome you. But I want to let you know that MSC just released a new album called Heaven. Seven brand new songs that express the heart of our community, our heart of worship, and are going to absolutely inspire you and make an impact on your life. Mosaic MSC, Heaven. So if you're here for the very first time this morning, you're catching us on the tail end of a journey. We've been journeying together over the past several weeks through the material in Chasing Daylight. And the the basic theme of Chasing Daylight is how to seize the power of, of every moment. But we have to step back and remember that life is full of too many moments for us to to capture one moment at a time. That would just lead us to madness. Imagine if you were so consciously aware of every minute of your life. It's hard. So we think in terms of years or months or weeks or days or even hours. You might actually step back and go, wow, I really wasted today. Anybody have a day that you've wasted? Or maybe you look back and go, wow, I just wasted the last couple of hours. Or if you're not careful, you might have wasted a few months or a few years. And if you really don't pay attention, you might actually have wasted an entire life. But all, all of us have probably have a few wasted moments along the way. I mean, after all, the moment you try to grab a moment, that moment's gone. And then if you're trying to grab the moments there, the moment that's coming, you're not prepared for. But what we've discovered is that life is actually shaped by five or six defining moments. That there are these critical access points in our life. We could even call them divine moments. That the choices we make inside of those moments set the momentum, set the course for all the moments to come. And as you look back on your life, you'll begin to realize that you're moving from a moment to a moment. And from the momentum of that moment to the compelling attraction of another moment. And the tragedy, of course, is to move through life not defined by the choices you make, but by the choices other people make that affect your life. The tragedy would be to have the most significant defining moments of your life not be the moments that you chose to set the course of your future, but a moment where you passively sat back and allowed someone else to choose that moment that affected your life. That's why so many of us live in the past. That's why so many of us live with regret, why so many of us live with bitterness and unforgiveness and a hollow emptiness in our souls because we somehow know That our lives have been most affected by the people that we least trusted. So we've been looking together at a moment in the life of two individuals, Saul and Jonathan. Saul was the first king of Israel. Jonathan was the first prince of Israel. And these two individuals were in the same moment. And one of the things that we, we see so starkly in this moment is that two people can be in the same moment and come out of it with two very different futures. So here we are sharing a moment together. But what comes out of this moment will not be simply shaped by what is brought into this moment by everyone else. Because the defining material of your life will not be what a circumstance brings to your life, what a moment brings to your life, what others bring to your life. The material that will actually shape your life most powerfully is the material you bring into that moment. So we look inside of Saul and Jonathan, and we see two different materials. They're in conflict with the Philistines. The Philistines outnumber them 10,000 to one. 
Israel has no weapons. They have two swords. The, the Philistines have chariots and horses and seasoned warriors. And, and they were going to devastate the Israelites. And Saul did not want to go to war because why pick a fight? You know you can't win. But Jonathan had the advantage of youth, you know, foolishness. So he goes out in the middle of the night while his dad's asleep and he picks a fight against the Philistines and he has the worst strategy we've ever seen. He says, let's let them see us. I'm going, no, let's let them not see us. In fact, he says, let's let them see us. And if they tell us to stay where we are, we're just going to stay here and die. But if they tell us to come up, we're going to see that as a sign from God that God's with us. And I love his confidence, his, his, his base of faith. Maybe God will help. That's so inspiring, isn't it? He says, let's go pick a fight. Let's step into this moment. Let's go see if God will work. Who knows? Maybe God will show up. I think that's a more honest engagement with the reality of God than most of us have. A lot of us pretend we know, but we don't know. The reality is that most of us live our lives with such an overwhelming sense of uncertainty. And faith does not remove that uncertainty. So Jonathan says, you know, let's go. Maybe God will help us. Maybe if we step into this, something extraordinary will happen. And that's the moment we're in. And if you've been reading the book, you'll notice it's in three different movements. It's that there's foreshock, there's epicenter, and then there's aftershock. But whether it's a foreshock or an epicenter or an aftershock, there's always a shaking. And what I want us to look at in these moments is what happens after Jonathan makes his choices. Because one of the beautiful things that happens in life, one of the things that is to me so extraordinary about those defining divine moments is that they become so overwhelming. It's almost as if the entire universe is focused on your life. Have you ever felt that way? Either good or bad? Have you ever felt like the whole universe is trying to stop me from being happy, from being successful, from moving forward? You feel like you're at war with the entire cosmos. Or sometimes it works the other way around. It feels like no matter what I do, the whole universe is conspiring in my favor. Everything is moving in my direction. Usually we think that about someone else. Why is everything against me and everything for her? Why is everything against me and everything for him? But I want us to step into this moment and we're going to see what happens. And then what I want to challenge you is to believe that you can step out of this place and make the ground shake. 1 Samuel chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, it says, Then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp, in the field, those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah in Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, Muster the forces, and let's see who has left. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer. Who were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. At that time, it was with the Israelites. And while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all of his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistine had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. 
So on that day, the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved on beyond beth This for me is one of those critical moments that allows us to see from the inside out. Because what we talked about earlier is one of the difficulties, one of the complexities of identifying divine moments, defining moments is they look so ordinary when you're stepping in. It'd be great there's a sign that said, life-changing moment about to happen. But it doesn't. In fact, if there's a sign, it's on the exit side. You look back and it says, you just missed it. The other day I was in another country, I don't remember which one, and I went to a restaurant, and I went into the men's room, and I had a moment, then I walked out, and I was confused about where to go, so I stepped straight across, pushed open the door, and walked into the women's room, and then I realized, not where I'm supposed to be, so I, you ever walk out hoping no one sees you, but of course, that's the moment. A woman's getting up and coming in your direction. So I come out of the women's room and this woman starts walking right up. She just looks at me, smiles like, I know where you are. And then she just walks in. And I was so upset thinking to myself, there was no sign. There were two doors. But I didn't see the sign. Now I went back and I realized now, there might have been a sign. (laughs) I missed the sign. That sign was not there the way I was used to signs being there. That's part of the problem sometimes is that we're looking for a certain kind of sign and then when the sign is there, we don't see the sign and then we blame God. You didn't give me a sign, God. He goes, it was everywhere. How could you walk through that door? That wasn't your door. It was that door. So how can you know you're in a divine moment when life feels way too big for you? When life is bigger than you, you can know you're in a dying moment. In verse 15 it says, Then panic struck the whole army. All the Philistines were confused. And those in the camp and field, and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. What a wonderful coincidence that an earthquake would happen the moment Jonathan needed something to happen. See, no one was moving on Jonathan's behalf. Have you ever felt like you're trying to do the best you can, but no one is there to help you? You ever felt like the moment you thought people were going to show up, they just didn't show up? The, peop- the moment you thought people would just prove themselves to be faithful or loyal with you, they just don't show up. They always want to show up for the after party if you succeed. But in the middle of the battle, in the middle of the conflict, when you really need people in your life, you find yourself all alone. And that was Jonathan's moment. Him and his armor were there alone, and so God shook the earth. I love that. And, and just in case, because... Samuel seems to know he's writing this for people who will have a hard time believing. And so you might believe in natural coincidences. What an extraordinary series of coincidences that the moment Jonathan's at war with the Philistines about to be crushed, there's an earthquake. And it sets the Philistines into panic. So Samuel adds these words just so you can be clear. It was a panic sent by God. Just so you can know. Maybe there are other things that they just happen because they're natural and, and they just happen because that's the way the universe is designed. But this was a moment where God just shook the earth. Because God was involving himself in the life of Jonathan. 
If you're in a moment in your life and you're in the middle of one of the greatest struggles you've ever been in, if you feel overwhelmed by life, but then all of a sudden things start happening and you can't even put the pieces together, you can't even figure out how it's all come together, you might want to stop and realize you're in the middle of a divine moment. I remember when Emerson and Christina Nawatney, who were working in Venice Beach on her campus over there, and many of you know Emerson, he's so talented and so gifted, and he's an artist and a craftsman, and and he came to me and he said, you know, I really feel like we're supposed to open up a campus in Mexico City. And I said, hey, that's wonderful. One day we'll do that, Emerson. But right now we really got to get Venice Beach and Santa Monica and all these different campuses going. And, and he just kept bugging me and bugging me and bugging me. Yeah, but we should go now. We should go now. We should go now. I said, I don't know if we should go now, Emerson. One day we'll go, but not today. But not today. And he just would... Always bring the conversation back, no matter what we're talking about. He always go, you know, bro, Mexico City. You know, Mexico City, it's like it's the city. It's the gateway to all of Latin America. And, you know, bro, Mexico City, you need to come see Mexico City with me. And I said, Man, you're only half Mexican. You're half Bolivian. Talk to me about Bolivia, you know. And, <laughs> and, and, and then we went down and did an event in the Shakespeare Theater, theater in Condesa. And, and there's this beautiful theater that goes, this is what we're doing. But right here, right here, this is the spot. This is where we would be. So it's beautiful. I love the Shakespeare Theater. One day, one day we're going to do that, Emerson. And then there was an earthquake in Mexico City. And that very theater was shaken to its core. And that area was devastated and people were moving out. And when that earthquake happened in Mexico City, I remember reaching out to Emerson. I said, Emerson, it's time. This is the moment. He goes, bro, there's an earthquake. He said, I know, I know there's an earthquake. That's why it's, it's time. He said, yeah, I, I don't know, maybe not now. Maybe like one day. One day we can go, but I don't know if today is the right day. He said, no, this is the day because the earth has shaken. And so people are in disarray. People are afraid. People are confused. People are in a panic. This is the moment you go and you bring hope and you bring life and you bring compassion and you bring kindness and This is the moment. I think sometimes when God is working in our life, we actually run away from it because the earth is shaking. It doesn't just shake for all the Philistines. It shook for Jonathan too. He was in the middle of the earthquake. He was in the epicenter of God shaking the earth. I think sometimes in our lives, we want God to make everything easy. And that to us is the proof that God is with us. But your divine moments, your defining moments are not going to be the easiest moments of your life. In fact, the easiest moments of your life will be the least significant moments you will ever have. It's the moments that matter. The moments when you're in the battle, the moment you're giving yourself to something bigger than yourself, that moment where you've given everything. And even if you lose everything, it's worth everything to try. It's in that moment, it's in that moment where the earth shakes. And God says, I'm showing up for you. Even if no one else shows up for you, I'm going to show up for you. And I wonder how many times in, in our lives, God was ready to do something beautiful in your life. Something extraordinary, something undeniable. He wanted to show up for you and make himself known to you. But when the earth started shaking, you got afraid. You just started running away because you, you didn't know God worked like that. You thought God made life easy. You didn't know he just made you stronger. He goes on to say, Saul's lookouts at Gibeon, Benjamin. 
Saul, the army melting away in all directions. I love that imagery. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who has left us. He knew someone had ignited that crisis. You ever had someone who just creates crises? So frustrating. I mean, it's really frustrating when they create the wrong crisis. But you know, it's incredibly irritating when they create the right one. You ever had people in your life who create a crisis because you needed one? Because you were too apathetic, you were too settled, you are too comfortable. You'd, when it, you went ahead, just settled for the status quo. You went ahead and became the human definition of mediocrity and someone stepped into your life and created a crisis. And what happened here is Saul saying, find out who left. Who's caused this? Saul did not want to go into a battle. Because of that, he would never see God come through. So find out who left. And when they did, it was Jonathan and his armor who were not there. Now this created a huge dilemma because see, one of the ways you can know you're in the middle of the divine moment is when life is bigger than you. But it's also when, when you become the sign people are looking for. See, Jonathan became the sign of what God was doing in the world. And Saul would not have been in any way motivated to get in the middle of that battle if it wasn't for his son, Jonathan. If it had been anyone else, he would have said, well, he deserves what he's going to get. He let him die. He's a fool. But the moment it was his son, the one person he loved, it pulled Saul into the middle of the battle. And it pulled all of his armies with him. See, one of the signs that you're in the middle of a divine moment is that you suddenly become the sign other people are looking for. Because there are people everywhere searching for God. People everywhere searching for hope. They're searching for meaning. And, and it's really hard to see it in God because God's invisible and is inaudible. How do you find a God that you cannot see and you cannot hear? You see him in other people. And you hear him in the voices of someone else. See that moment when, when someone speaks into your life and it cuts you to the very core. You have to know that's, that's not their words. It's God speaking to you. That moment where that person's life compels you and pulls you in, you have to know they're, they're just the, the, the material of that magnetic pull that God is trying to pull you into his presence. And so Saul calls them together. They find out it's Jonathan who has left. And so what does he do next? Saul then says to Ahijah, bring the ark of God, because the ark of God was the promise of God's presence. At that time, it was with the Israelites. And while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Now, withdraw your hand is a fancy way of saying there's no time to pray right now. Stop praying. Would you ever imagine in the scriptures that there would be a command, stop praying? But here it is. Stop praying. There's a reason why you should stop praying. Is when you need to start acting. You see, I think a lot of times we pray as a way to avoid doing what we know what to do. And here Saul is calling the priest. Jonathan's fighting a war. The, the earth is shaking. And Saul's like, let's have a prayer meeting. You know, our thoughts and prayers. There's a reason why people have a visceral negative reaction to the phrase, our thoughts and prayers are with you. It's because they've watched a generation of people have thoughts and prayers without concern and action. Anyone who thinks and prays needs to care and do. And here you have Saul, yep. Here you have Saul finally 
caring enough to have a prayer meeting. Let's bring the priest over. Let's bring the ark over. Let's have a conversation with God. The whole ground is shaking. Jonathan is fighting for his life. Let's see what God wants to do. You want to see what God wants to do? Look what God is doing to the person who's actually doing something. So finally says, withdraw your hand. It's kind of awkward to be praying right now when it's so obvious what God is doing. There's some of you, you use prayer as just a spiritualized excuse for apathy. And it's time just to get in the game and do something. There's some things you just don't need to pray about. I remember when, when I asked my beautiful wife, Kim, to marry me. We've been dating and we had ups and downs, highs and lows. We had a lot of fights, actually, when we were dating. A lot of tears. And then this pastor and his wife started counseling Kim that she should cut it off with me because I wasn't the marrying kind. I would never commit. I wouldn't get married. They're not our friends anymore. <laughs> and, and so finally I went through the long effort. I got her a little engagement ring that was worth like $18. And uh, I think the kind, you, you know, you, you put a quarter in, you either get gum or a ring. And uh, I got her this engagement ring. And, and I went to this tree out in, in, in the campus where we were at. And I got on one knee. I asked her to marry me. And you know what she said? Let's pray. <laughs> what? She said, let's pray. She bowed her head and closed her eyes. Let's pray. I'm on one knee. Let's pray. I said, no. No two-minute prayer is going to save you now. (laughs) I said, if you haven't been praying about this, no prayer is going to help you right now. So I don't know if I should have done it this way, but this is how I did it. I said, I'm going to do this one more time. And this time you're going to get it right. (laughs) I said, so I'm going to ask you and then you're going to give me an answer. Will you marry me? She says, yes. But, But she knew the yes. She was afraid of the yes. See, the prayer wasn't to ask God. The prayer was to hold me off. Because we'd already been praying about it. We already knew we were supposed to be together. See, I think there are times in our lives where we pretend we're waiting for God. When God has been waiting for us for a long time. I don't know, I need to pray about it. Really, do you really need to pray about most of the things you already know to do? There's some of you, inside of you, you already know. You, you already know the next thing you need to do. You already know what your next step is. You already know what your line of faith is. You already know. For some of you, it, it's, 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 you know that you need to trust Jesus with your life. For some of you, you know that you need to leave that job and choose a mission in your life. For some of you, you know that you need to, to break off that, that, that addictive pattern in your life and choose a new, way, a new way of living. Some of you, you know what to do. You don't need to pray about it. You just need to act on it. And maybe you need to pray for the strength to do it, but you don't need to pray for the clarity because it's already clear. In fact, God has cleared the way. You just need to step into it and trust God and move forward. It was a beautiful thing when we were in Ecuador just a few weeks ago. We went to Quito and we were there with this couple, Andres and Anna. And Andres and Anna have had this revolutionary 
shift in their life, coming to a faith in God, trusting Jesus with their life. And, and he runs this really elegant, beautiful company in the world of uh, television and media. And, and he was known for throwing the best parties in the country of Ecuador. So people would come from all over the country and come to his parties. And, and, and then he became a person of faith and his party started changing. And the people were really confused. What's going on? And, and then he started just inviting his friends to times at his house and times at, in, 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 in their living room. And they just began talking about hope and optimism and, and just try to encourage people and inspire them. But they didn't really talk a lot about God, just a little bit, you know, because it was all new for them. And, and, and so he said, look, I, we want to do kind of an event and we want you to come and we're going to invite our closest friends to come. And we just want to be able to have like a question and answer session where you can talk about God, you can talk about Jesus, you can talk about faith. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, we're going to be in their living room. We're going to be sitting down with 20, 30 people. It's going to be a really nice conversation. We have great coffee, great food, great conversation. And then he takes me to the theater that they rented in downtown Quito. And I thought, wow, this is not really what I was imagining. It's like a, a theater. And, and I said, so did you open this up? He goes, oh, no, no, this is a private event. It's just our, our family and our friends. It's just the people we invited one-on-one, just personal invitations. And, and over 300 people pour into that theater, almost all of them atheists and agnostics and people who are anti-religion because Andres and Anna have had such an extraordinary life change that they wanted to know more about what was going on in their life. And they said they have one friend who stood in the back. He's like their, their meter because he's a hardcore atheist. And afterwards they asked him, what do you think? And he goes, I'm an atheist, but um, this almost compels me to believe in God. <laughs> well, that's, that's good. That's good because you see, he didn't just see God open up the heavens. He saw God inside of two of his friends. He couldn't explain what was going on. Then there's this other guy, I guess he's an artist, and he's super artistic and really cool, and, and I did this little Q&A a night or two later, and he came up and sat on the stage with me and, and to ask this question, and he said, he asked a lot of questions about art and creativity and beauty, and, and afterwards, someone came up to him because they, they told me he always comes every week to have conversations, but every week when they talk about God, he says, why are you talking about God? I'm an atheist. And whenever they mention Jesus, they go, why, why are you mentioning Jesus? I want to have these other conversations about life and humanity and doing positive good in the world. But why do you always have to talk about Jesus? You know, I'm an atheist. It's a little insulting. And, and so they all try to be super sensitive to him. So he came to this event. And afterwards, they said to him, we know you're an atheist. He goes, who told you I'm an atheist? He goes, I'm not an atheist. I believe in God. He forgot. He forgot that just a few days before he was a an atheist, and an adamant, angry atheist that didn't like being talked to about God. Now he forgot he was an atheist. It's amazing how we can have short-term memory. Because the moment you begin to see God in someone else, it's hard to deny God and the possibility of God also dwelling in you. See, Jonathan was in the middle of the battle. It was not the earthquake that moved Saul. It was not the possibility of victory that moved Saul. I'm fairly certain that when Saul moved into the battle, he was pretty sure there was no way they could win. I am fairly certain that Saul knew that this would be his last act as a king. He was certain he would die on that battlefield, but he would rather end his life, end his story at the side of his son than to simply watch his son fight alone. See, there are times... In life, where God moves you into a defining, life-changing moment. And that moment isn't just for you. 
It's for the people who need to see God in you, who need to see God through you. So then it goes on, and it gives us this beautiful little description, verse 20 on down. It says, then Saul and all of his men assembled and went into the battle. So the, the apathetic got up and got into the battle. And all those who had gone into their camp with them went over to the Israelites. And it says the Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and gone up with them to their camps went over to the Israelites. In other words, there were Hebrews who betrayed the Israelites. They joined the Philistines. They became traitors. And the Philistines gave them weapons because now they were warriors for the Philistines against Israelites, against their own people. But the moment they saw Jonathan at war against the Philistines, the moment they saw Saul coming, they recanted their betrayal. Who could have ever imagined that God had actually placed the army that Jonathan needed behind enemy lines because he allowed them to step into their own darkness, but then he turned them in the last minute. See, there are people right now who are just apathetic and they're afraid to live life. They're just drowning in mediocrity, but when you begin to live out your divine moments, they will be inspired and moved toward living theirs. And there are people who have walked away from faith. They said, I don't trust God. I don't trust faith. I just don't have any confidence in the church or temple or synagogue or mosque or anything. I just can't believe there's a God out there. The moment they see you living out your divine moments, they will find that faith they lost. Then it says in verse 22, when all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. In other words, there were other Israelites. They were not simply apathetic and they were not simply Traitors, they were dysfunctional. They were living in the hill country, living in caves like animals. They were so afraid of the Philistines. They were paralyzed in fear. But when they heard the ground shake and they saw and heard the, 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 the clanging of the swords and the heat of the battle, they found their courage. And they didn't come in until later. It says, when they saw the Philistines were on the run, they joined in hot pursuit. I don't know why, but people get really irritated with bandwagon fans. You know, all of a sudden, my son's a Laker fan. I, I'm, I'm, I'm adjusting. But I realized, ah, if they're good, I'll, I'll be a fan. I love the Warriors. You know, and people, are you a bandwagon fan? So what? It's a wagon. I'm in the band. Every year, I pick a favorite football team. Right around the Super Bowl. You're not a Patriots fan. Sure I am. You're not allowed to be. I was an Eagles fan last year. People get really upset. See, sometimes it's only when the enemy's in hot pursuit, when they're running for their lives, that you join in. But you see, when Jonathan stepped into this moment, he never said God's going to give him victory. God said, he said, God's going to give Israel victory. He never did this for himself. We should actually want everyone to join the band, to get into the game, to win. You don't have to have a loser to win. See, with God, he never fights against you. He fights for you. If you and God are enemies, you're the only one who chose that. God is for you, and he fights for you. You can know you're in the middle of the divine moment, not only when, when life is bigger than you and you're in the middle of conflict and celebration at the same time. I know a lot of people say, I can't believe in God because there's so much suffering in the world. But again, I got to tell you guys, I don't know how you can't believe in God because there's so much beauty in the world. You decide what you see in the moment. You're in a divine moment when you become a sign that people are looking for. 
And they start coming alive because of you. But you realize you're in a divine moment when your life pulls others into the life of God. It's one of the most beautiful things in the world. When you realize that, that every human being has the capacity to be so fully alive that you become a magnetic force for other people. You want to be rare? I, mean, I always wondered, what, what made diamonds rare? Like, how did people decide these are priceless? I mean, it's odd, isn't it? In, in fact, now we're discovering that this generation really isn't buying diamonds. It's not rare to them. It's not something priceless to them. But how do human beings decide what's rare? Usually, what is priceless is based on what's most rare. If there's a lot of something, it's not priceless. If there's a lot of copper, it's not priceless. It's just worth a penny. If there's a lot of bronze, it's worth more, but it's not priceless. If there's less gold, so that has a higher value. See, things actually, the more rare they are. So I guess Bansky just sold a painting. And then the moment it sold, he set it on fire. And it doubled in value. Only he could do that. But the reason is because there's an understanding that the more rare something is, the more priceless it becomes. You want to be rare? You, you, don't want, to, you want to know what's common in this world? Greed. You want to be like everyone else? Just live a life of greed. You, you want to be like everyone else? Just live a life of arrogance and pride. You want to be like everyone else? Just pursue fame and power and prestige. You want to be like everyone else? Live a life where you're not trustworthy. See, if you want to be rare, live a life of love. Love is so rare in this world. Love is such a rare commodity that when you, ever fi- when you find it in its purest form, you will treasure it with everything you have. You want to be rare? Be filled with hope. Despair is so common. When you live a life of hope, you become rare. You want to be rare? Be fully alive. Stop existing. Just stop Making it through the day. Get up every day and be so fully alive that you are a rare commodity on this earth. Because then your life becomes something beautiful. Then your life becomes something extraordinary. And when you become rare, your life begins to pull others into the life of God. I had this wonderful opportunity this week. I got to, um, to speak at Nike. And, I mean, they should actually just pay me a commission. But I, I got to speak at Nike this week. They started this series called Coach. And I had the opportunity to be the first speaker in this Coaches series. And, and it, was, it was a great time talking about creativity and imagination and human capacity and what makes humans unique. And, and everything that I wrote about in the Artisan Soul was really just the material that I was sharing at Nike. And, and then the Q&A and the question and answer session, somebody asked me, well, what changed in your life? What was the defining moment that shifted you from, from watching life happen to making life happen? What, what happened to you? And I love those questions because then you can actually talk about your own journey. And I said, you know, for me, my defining moment was when I became a person of faith. It changed everything for me. Because Jesus did change everything for me. But what's crazy is that moment that I was at Nike, it looks like I was Jonathan, but I wasn't. I was just the armor bearer. Because they have an employee, this person who's amazing. Her name is Tiana King. And for the last year, she's been trying to get me into Nike. And it's been hard. And she just kept pushing and pushing. And, and then I just sort of be moved to the side, moved to the side. Then she just kept advocating, advocating. And they just kind of moved me to the side. A year later, I'm speaking at Nike. Because this beautiful young woman refused to give up on creating a platform for me to get to share. Because she was in the epicenter. She was the earthquake. 
she was where the foreshock and the aftershock was taking place. And I got to be in that moment with her. You may not even realize it, but God may be using your life right now, not just to prepare you for your future, but to open the way for someone else's future. What would happen if all of us began to seize every divine moment? If we began chasing daylight, if we began to believe that God would meet us in those moments in life and change everything. And by the way, there's an earthquake I don't want you to miss because it tells us that when Jesus was crucified, when he had been put to death, it says that the Roman soldiers looked around and they saw Jesus who had been nailed to a cross. They heard his final words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. They heard his final words, it is finished. And then it says there was an earthquake, that the ground shook. And a Roman centurion looked around and he saw what was happening. In the middle of this moment that looked like the epicenter of tragedy, he realized that God was changing the course of history. And this soldier said, surely this man is the son of God. God wants to shake up your life. And then wherever you walk, wherever you walk in his presence, wherever you walk knowing that God is with you, I'm telling you, you will make the ground shake. Let's pray together. If you would just bow your heads with me just for a moment, just close your eyes. I just want to give you a moment to soak in the thoughts, a moment to meditate, a moment to reflect, a moment to ask God. God, where do you want me to stand? I don't know about you, but I want to be the epicenter of God's activity. I want to stand in the hot, flaming center of God's intention for my life. I don't want to watch life happen. I want to be about making life happen. And if you're here right now, and you're wondering, what do I do? If I want this kind of life, if I want to know this kind of freedom, this kind of love, if I want to know this kind of, of aliveness, what do I do? You need to cross the line of faith and trust Jesus with your life. See, God is a gentleman. He will never force himself on you. He waits for you to give your life to him and to invite him to give his life to you. But the moment you invite him, he comes and he gives you life. He fills you with his forgiveness and his freedom and his hope and his love. So if you're here right now and you're ready to take that step of faith, to step into this moment, because remember, the choices you make in this moment will create the momentum for your future. If you're here and you are ready to trust Jesus with your life, I want to lead you in a simple prayer, just one sentence. One sentence where your life will change forever. One sentence where you give your life to God. Here it is. Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, just whisper to him. Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, just open up your heart to him.
trust the God who loves you. Trust the God who gave his life for you right now. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If this is your prayer, remember there's a moment to pray and there's a moment to act. If you just whispered this prayer, Jesus, I give you my life, I want to pray for you. But I want you to make just a small act of faith right now. I just want you to muster up all the courage you can right now. And if you just whispered this prayer, Jesus, I give you my life, I just want you to hold up your hand right now so I can see you and I want to pray for you. Beautiful. Anyone else right now? Just hold up your hand high. I want to see you. Beautiful. Anyone else? Wonderful. Wonderful. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. Anyone else? This is your moment. This is for you, not for anyone else. This is just for you. Anyone else right now? Jesus, I give you my life. Beautiful. Father, I thank you for the women and the men who in this moment have crossed this line of faith. God, I just pray that you would just wrap them up in your love and let them know that they belong to you, that you will never leave them or abandon them. God, I just pray that they would have this overwhelming sense that you've just breathed life into them. God, just fill them with your forgiveness and your grace and your compassion and your mercy. Just fill them with your hope and your joy in your life. May your love be their momentum going forward. We thank you, Father. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just thank God for all those who are responding to him right now? So good. So good. Whether you're here in Hollywood or in South Pasadena or Santa Monica or in Mexico City or in Orange County or in Seattle or wherever you may be even listening right now I want you to know that God is where you are and God created you to live in his presence he created you to live in the wonder of his goodness God is so generous that all he wants to do is pour into you all the goodness of who he is God is the source of love and life and hope and joy and he just wants to pour it all into your soul so my hope and my prayer for you this week is that you would not allow the moments to slip away that you would step into every moment knowing I'm alive I'm alive I'm alive and let Jesus become more real to you every day and by the way when you live your life fully alive don't be surprised when people start looking at you and coming to you and saying what has happened to you You can just tell them. You don't have to be weird. You don't have to be creepy. You don't have to get all religious. You can just go, I can't even fully explain it. I'm just alive. I I didn't know it could happen, but I I trusted my life to Jesus. And something changed inside of me. And I know it sounds crazy, but Jesus has become for me the source of life. Let God use you in such a beautiful way where you don't have to push yourself on anyone. You don't have to try to get a conversation going. Let God just shape you in such a way that people come to you and ask you what in God's name is going on with you. And you can say, that's exactly right. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received. Allow it to go deeply into your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.